It's quite a substantial passage this evening, so a big thank you to Rachel for bringing it to us so well. Please keep your Bible open at Matthew 10 as we'll be referencing the text throughout this evening. So we have this account of this specific local mission as Jesus sent out the 12. As we come to the end of this initial part of Matthew's gospel, which focuses on our need to be disciples as we look ahead to this great commission that's coming at the end of the book, what can we learn from this example mission? Within, you, within Matthew chapter 10, Jesus mentions three trulies which encapsulate the relevance of this specific commissioning to us in our own Christian lives. Verse 15, truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Verse 23, truly, when, sorry, when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next, for truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Verse 42, and whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. On the day of judgment, before the Son of Man comes, he will by no means lose his reward, speaking about our eternal rewards. The theme that runs through this whole passage is a focus on the day when the Lord Jesus Christ will come again, something we often refer to as the second coming. The crux of this passage is that we are to go out and make disciples with the focus of the second coming at the forefront of our minds. As we approach Christmas, we rightfully focus our thoughts on the remembrance of the Lord Jesus' birth. And on Sundays, we often learn from the life and death and teachings of Christ. But how often do we truly focus on the second coming of the Lord? In my example story earlier, I wasn't focused on the time when it would all be too late. I was too complacent. I thought there was absolutely no rush for us in our lives, we are to act as though the Lord's return is imminent. So I'm going to split this evening's passage into three sections. Firstly, our urgent mission in verses 1 to 15. Then keep going, verses 16 to 33. And then finally, our eternal hope in verses 34 to 42. So firstly, our urgent mission in verses 1 to 15. In the previous chapters, Jesus has taught disciples and demonstrated his power through his miracles. But that section ends in chapter 9 with Jesus showing his compassion for the lost. And he delivers that famous line to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. It is clear that going out to make disciples is the natural follow-on from a believer's personal discipleship. In verse 1, Jesus calls to his disciples and gives them authority to cast out demons and heal the sick. Now, while we won't have these exact same authorities that the 12 directly were given, 
Jesus still commissions us under his authority to go out and to make disciples as we read at the end of Matthew's gospel. Jesus states in verse five that the target of this first missionary assignment is to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, which is the nation of the Jews. While we read in Matthew 28 about this great global commission to reach all across the world, the Lord wants them to focus on those who did not believe that Christ was the Messiah in their own nation on this initial journey. I don't think it's surprising that the Lord wants them to start where they are before going out to further afield. For new disciples today, seeking to evangelize for the Lord for the first time, starting off with those in your own country, city, or town seems like a sensible starting point. Verse seven then introduces us to the mission. And proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The message is simple. God has come to this earth as a man through the person of Jesus Christ. And the amazing thing is that we have the complete message today. Our message is to proclaim the news of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection, and what it all means. For us as believers, we are reminded in verse 8 that we received Christ without paying. So we are to proclaim the good news to all. Nothing is needed from anybody in order for them to be presented with the gospel. Verses 11 to 15 focus around the response to the message. For those who were found worthy, or in other words, those who accepted the disciples' message, then peace was to come upon them. However, for those who didn't accept the message, the disciples were to shake dust off at their, of their feet. This was used at that time to symbolize a mark of judgment on the town or house. Here the Lord is saying that whoever received the disciples and their word received Christ himself, and it was the contrary for those who rejected them. It is important for us to recognize the authority that the 12 disciples had. They were inspired by the Lord, and it is much more serious to reject what they say than what any of us has to say. But for us, though, we still have a huge responsibility. It is not our word that holds authority, but the word of Christ that he has given us authority to proclaim. We see the weight of our witness in verse 15. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that time. Reading this hit me hard. Do we truly understand the weight of the consequences for those who do not accept this message? But also, do we really evangelize with the urgency that comes from living in light of this coming day of judgment? How many times have we looked at a family member and said, maybe I'll say to them about next year's carol service, or maybe I'll invite them to the next outreach event. How many times have we stood before a friend and just racked our brains thinking of anything else to say rather than just talking about the fact we were at church on Sunday? How often do we talk to a non-Christian and just talk about anything and everything other 
than the gospel. We need to understand the weight and the burden of our witness. Don't be like me in that story when I looked at the washing and felt I had plenty of time to sort it out. Don't be complacent when considering the second coming. Our mission should be as if we are on the very edge of the Lord's return because the message and mission that we have has eternal consequences. Now, maybe you're sitting here tonight and you aren't yet even a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've seen clearly in this passage that the day when God's righteous judgment is handed out is coming. And none of us can meet his righteous standard alone. But the hope in Matthew's gospel is that the Messiah King, Jesus Christ, lived a perfect life, then suffered a gruesome death that he did not deserve, and then rose from the dead. And his sacrifice provides us with a means to stand before the Lord God on that coming day and be looked upon as blameless in his sight. He requires a response from us. And rejecting this free gift, however, puts you under God's judgment. And that day of judgment could be any time. We have to act as if it is imminent. Don't wait for tomorrow. Don't wait for a later time. Come to the Savior where you are and let him bring you joy and peace right now. So our urgent mission in verses 1 to 15. Secondly, keep going, verses 16 to 33. Jesus has outlined the mission and the message that we have to bring as we go out to make disciples. But what happens when we go to go out? In verse 16, Jesus immediately gives the warning as to what comes along with this commission. I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. What a picture we get here. A sheep is so often used in the Bible to convey vulnerability and a wolf used to convey threat and danger. Those who are going out to make disciples are being sent out into the face of persecution. That is what we are told to face. So what does the Lord tell us about how we face this persecution? After all, verse 22 tells us that we will be hated by all for his name's sake. Well, we get both action and encouragement. Verse 23 brings us to our second truly. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. So are we told to just move on in the face of difficulty? We have to be careful not to read too much into these words. The Lord's aim here is a reminder that there are always people that need to be saved. And that will continue to be the case until he comes again. Have you ever worked at a ministry constantly and be disheartened by a lack of fruit? Or maybe you've tried and tried to pour into a friend and they're no more softened to the gospel than when you first started. It can be easy to ask ourselves, what is the point? What's the point in carrying on with spreading God's word? Well, the point for us as disciples 
is that there are always people who don't yet know Christ as their Savior. We are to pour out what we have now because the Lord may come again before we fulfill all the future plans for ministry and mission that we've planned out. Now, we shouldn't come away from this feeling like we should just give up on every person or mission that feels like a struggle. But we should recognize the need to keep giving of ourselves in service to Him, as there are always people who need to be reached. So we've seen the warning and the action, but what hope and encouragement can we have in the face of persecution? Well, the Lord gives us two hopes in verses 26 to 31. What is ultimately true will become known, and God the Father cares for us more than we know. In verses 26 and 27, we're told that everything that is currently covered or hidden will ultimately be made known. On that coming day when the Lord will return again, all of creation will see God's glory and every knee will bow before Him. As representatives here on earth, we're called in verse 27 to bring light to what is said in the dark and to shout on the rooftops what is whispered. We are God's messengers here on earth. Have hope in the fact that what we share to people and what we proclaim will one day be revealed in full when the Lord returns to earth. Now, if we move down to verses 29 to 31, we are reminded here that the Almighty Creator God cares for even creatures as small as a sparrow and that He knows that each and every hair on our heads God the Father cares for each one of us far more than a sparrow. When we face trials and difficulties, we can turn and rely on the creator of the universe for strength and provision. Maybe you're a mother or father sitting here this evening, and you're feeling like you're fighting a losing battle against the world when it comes to raising your children. Maybe you're a young professional and you're just finding it harder and harder to live as a Christian in the workplace. Or maybe you sit here this evening and you're having to deal with abuse or stick from your own family members simply because of your commitment to follow Christ. There are many different struggles, difficulties, and personal persecutions that we each face. Tonight, can I remind you that we have a God who cares for each of us so deeply. He cares for us over and above all else in creation. When we face opposition or difficulty in our lives for the sake of the gospel, don't lean on our own strength. Turn to the Almighty God for guidance. He is our refuge and our strength. Face the difficulties of this world knowing that we go out in the name of the Lord with the Holy Spirit working through us, and with the strength of the creator of the universe who cares for each one of us. Now, this second section finishes with a final warning that we see in verses 32 and 33. I'd say one of the biggest nightmares for every child is when you're out in public with your parents and Maybe they start singing or doing something embarrassing of that ilk. 
I'm definitely not speaking from experience. Usually we try and hide our faces or just wish that the ground would open up and swallow us up. Basically, at that point, we're trying to deny any and all association with them. Now, in this example, parents usually do something embarrassing that might excuse this reaction. But imagine doing a similar thing to Jesus Christ, our Savior, who offers us eternal life. Well, this is what verse 33 warns us against. How often in our lives do we try and avoid bringing up our faith to avoid the embarrassment? Maybe if I just keep a low profile and don't mention my faith, I'll avoid getting any stick. As we once again consider this day when the Lord returns, if we stand in the face of life's difficulties and proclaim that Jesus is Lord, then he will acknowledge us before our Father in heaven. But if we deny him here on earth, maybe in an attempt to avoid persecution, then he will deny us before Almighty God. So, keep going in verses 16 to 33. Finally, our eternal hope in verses 34 to 42. In the final section of this commission, the Lord Jesus deals with the issue of Christians having to give up things for the sake of following Christ. As we look at these verses, it's important not to misinterpret what Jesus means here. Initially, verses 34 to 36 might seem a bit strange. Within them, we read the following. Don't think I have come to bring peace to the earth. Not come to bring peace, but a sword. Set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A person's enemies will be those of his own household. Surely these all seem contradictory to the character of Christ. The Prince of Peace does not want to bring peace to the earth. Rather, he has brought a sword. We need to understand that Christ's goal during his time on earth was to reconcile us to his Father. Through his life, death, and resurrection, we can be seen as blameless before God the Father. But our allegiance to Christ comes at a cost. We are told that Christ will set family members against each other. Now, this isn't a call for believers to fall out with their families. Many of us are blessed by the Lord to have fellow believers in our families, and we should be eternally grateful for that. But what he means here is that allegiance to Christ could lead to division in families. For example, we hear regularly of our brothers and sisters in Eastern nations who have been shunned by family members for turning from Islam to follow Christ. But even here in Northern Ireland, many believers face strained relationships at the cost of their faith in Jesus. But this overall principle applies to all aspects of our lives, not just regarding our families. As believers, we must have firmly placed Jesus at the center. 
We cannot hold anything as a higher priority than Christ, whether that's our family, our career, our money, our comfort. All of these things must be of secondary importance to following Christ. If we go back to verses 9 and 10, we read that the disciples were to acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. Now, this was a specific request that was made of the disciples at this time and doesn't apply specifically to us today. But how would we feel if the Lord asked us to give up what we had as we went out to minister for him and to put our soul trust in him? Would we find it just too difficult to give up the house that we've worked hard for? Or maybe it's the job that we've just earned a promotion in. Or maybe the car that we've finally been able to buy. Do we value Jesus enough that we would give up what we had if that's what he required of us? I've had to be honest with myself as I pondered this question. Moving to the final few verses of this section, Jesus finishes his commission by providing a contrast alongside this previous call to earthly sacrifice. He reminds us here that we store up treasure in heaven when we work and serve in his name. Sometimes we feel a sense of guilt when considering the idea of rewards. And of course, we shouldn't allow our materialistic mindset to lead us to arrogance or to take our focus off our true purpose, which is to serve the will of the Lord. But I don't think it's the best idea for us to completely remove the hope of our heavenly reward when the Lord clearly offers it to the disciples and to us here. Now, you might be sitting here thinking, well, I'm not a preacher I'm not a Bible teacher, I'm not a big vocal evangelist, and I don't really have any elaborate gifts, so my reward won't be, won't be too special. Well, can I offer you encouragement from the words of Jesus here? In verse 41, Jesus states that anyone who receives a prophet because they are a prophet will receive a prophet's reward, and anyone who receives a righteous person because they are righteous, will receive a righteous person's reward. Anyone who welcomed a prophet into their home received the same reward that the prophet did. So maybe you can't be a speaker, but you can offer hospitality to those preaching and teaching God's word, and there will be no difference in your reward. But Jesus goes even a step further in verse 42. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Even giving water to someone in the name of the Lord will bring about reward for us in heaven. The small things that we do to serve Christ all add up. You may think that what you can give is so insignificant, but everything done in Christ's name 
matters. But what difference does this idea of earthly or heavenly reward really make? 1 Corinthians 9 verse 25 says, they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. When we work for things on earth, they may bring us pleasure in the short term, but they won't last. These rewards that we store up through our service to the Lord are imperishable. They will last for all eternity. Maybe you're sitting here tonight and you think that you'll consider serving in a role next year or that maybe someone else will fill the current vacancy in a certain ministry. Consider again that we are on the edge of the Lord's return. So don't wait. Serve in whatever way you can in his name and you will build up reward for eternity in heaven that you can enjoy with the Lord in glory. So our eternal hope in verses 34 to 42. To conclude, as we reach the end of this first section of Matthew's gospel, we've been introduced to Jesus Christ, God's Messiah King, and he demands a response from us. If you're here tonight and you haven't turned to him, there is no better time to do so than today. As we see later in Matthew's gospel, this same Jesus will be put to death so that despite all of our wrongdoings, we can be right before Almighty God. He did that for me, and he does it for each one of you. But we also read that God's judgment will be poured out on those who haven't accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior and reject his message. And that judgment day could be at any time. Don't put it off. And many here tonight have responded to him. You have accepted him as Savior, and you are a disciple of him. Well, we see from Matthew's gospel that we are not just to be disciples. We are to be disciple-making disciples. So as we consider Matthew chapter 10, we are to remember our urgent mission that we are to spread the message of Jesus Christ because punishment awaits those who reject him. We're to keep going in the face of persecution because there will always be people who need to be saved until the Lord comes again. And we're to remember that our eternal hope is that our service to the Lord will bring about an imperishable reward that we can enjoy when we are with him in glory. So as we go out to make disciples, we are to do this as if we are on the verge of the second coming. We are to go out with urgency, we are to persevere, and we are to look forward to what awaits us. Let's pray. Dear Lord God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gospel of Matthew. 
and how in our studies of this book, we have been introduced to Jesus, your Messiah King, and we've seen his teaching and his shows of authority. But Lord, we know that we need to respond to him. We need to turn to him and be followers of him. Lord, as we consider this specific mission of your 12 disciples, we realize that when we go out to make disciples, we are to do so as if we are on the verge of your son, the Lord Jesus' return. We are to recognize the urgency that which, at which we go out, that those who don't accept him will face your coming judgment day. We are to persevere in the face of persecution as we know that there are many men and women who need to be saved before you come, your son comes again. And Lord, we, we ask that we focus on our eternal reward, that we are building up treasure with you in heaven that will never perish and we can enjoy for all eternity. So help us to go out and minister to the lost souls around us and bring them the hope of the gospel that we have received through the word that you've given us. So we pray that we will go out with boldness and we will proclaim your gospel and your message that you want us to bring. So Lord, be with us now as we go out and bless the rest of our time together. In your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ's name, amen.